Welcome to At The Whiteboard with Ruth and Nicole, the podcast for people who want to crush it at work. Each week, we'll talk about the latest tips, trends, and tricks to help you love your job and to help your boss love you too. It's like having a personal coach whispering advice into your ear, but without the whispering. Okay, let's get into this week's episode. Stop it. I already had to listen to us do that 87 times when you were it. posting the other video. They like it. They told me so. Mm. It's all 16 of them. Liars. What are we talking about today? I have, I'm you literally going don't in cold. Know, do you? Going in cold. Mm-hmm. Today we are talking about second generation gender bias. What's that, Nicole? it's um gender bias that happens generationally second (laughs) it's actually just another name for unconscious gender bias oh Mm -hmm. so first generation gender bias is intentional it's like straight out straight out flat out we're not we're not hiring women we don't want this we don't want that it's absolutely intentional that's not happening anymore for the most part well if it is it's uh under the radar because and it's illegal, illegal. Yeah. yeah so um second generation gender bias i'll read the quote that i found when i was digging this up practices that may appear neutral or non-sexist because they apply to everyone but which discriminate against women because they reflect the values of the men who created or developed the setting, which is usually a workplace. So if the values that are designed to set up the culture or policies of a workplace are designed by men, Uh. even though they believe because it applies to everyone that it's fair, it actually can land... Uh, in the gender bias It's like bucket. accidental gender bias. It is accidental. It's, it, they actually call it subtle and unintentional. And we all have unintentional biases in our lives. All of us do, depending on, as you know, how we grew up. So I grew up in a very waspy family in the 60s and 70s. And look at, well, look at my dad. He grew up in the 20s and 30s. He never had Italian food until the 60s like he just never had it he wasn't exposed to it so that doesn't I don't mean to imply that he was biased against something but it's what we're exposed to and when we grow up in a certain way or we're exposed to different things we we design things that make us comfortable yeah can you think of any examples of things that are um gender unconscious gender bias issues in the workplace today the one I can think of that I think is a really interesting example is uh, like uh, men going for golf, mm-hmm. exclusive men events, mm-hmm. golf trips. I mean, I think it's declining now, but I know um, if I'm not mistaken in the Ontario Public Service now, um, men are not allowed to have events that are men exclusive. Interesting. Women can have women-exclusive events. Oh, that's a touchy subject. 
It is. And I guess the, the answer, I've always, always asked that question, like, I don't understand why. And it's just, well, if you're, if you're not the um, privileged group, you yeah. can do it. Right? Well, it's and- like uh, cultural appropriation. Or a word I heard today, or a concept I heard today, gay appro- appropriation. What's that mean? So it's when um, uh, heterosexual people apply um, typical gay concepts. So, for example, um, a, a heterosexual man saying "yas queen." Oh, interesting. It was 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 deemed to be gay slightly appropriation. gay appropriation, and that, so it's not okay to do. I don't think they were saying it's not okay. They, it was just a you're appropriating a a a, a, a oh. classically gay concept and using it to gain favor, do whatever. That's very interesting. I thought that was a, a fascinating concept, and like I said, when I heard it, it wasn't that they were saying, "Oh, that's awful. That person's terrible." That kind of thing. They were just kind of like. Interesting. A little bit of gay appropriation there. I would think it would be good. You're working things into your language yeah. that maybe you weren't comfortable with before. The idea of the golf thing is very interesting because mm-hmm. I think, and, and again, when I was at Ford, there were a lot of those golf events. And there were two, I think, two angles to the gender bias. One of them was they assumed that I didn't want to go. Or that I yes. couldn't play golf. Yes. That was one. The other was that they were doing things that were not inclusive of everyone and activities that people might like to do. Because golf is an expensive sport as well. Yeah. And, you know, it's if you... financially exclusive. That's right. Yeah, so that's but that's a very good example. Those events, uh, you know, when people would say we're going to go and I don't know, uh, it's hard to pick them now because I think that's on the down. I definitely uh, it, like. Think I was so going to say axe throwing, but I know lots of women who have loved going to those. Yeah, but they're it's just not happening anymore. But that's what they used to do. Those schmarmy schmoozing activities of old would definitely be an example of gender bias. And they'd be like, well, everybody's welcome. Yeah, but I'm going to be the only woman there. Yeah. Or I'm not, you know, as uh, me, as being non-sports oriented, as many people in my life would attest (laughs) to. Um, I enjoy golfing for the cocktails that come by, um, but I would be terrible on a team. I would not add any value, Mm -hmm. um, and I would just be upset. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that some great golfers would be very upset to have me, male Mm -hmm. and female alike. Mm -hmm. I think another example is um, uh, hiring practices. That you might say that the the structure of a job or the requirements of a job are apply to everyone, and but your qualifications or the things that you're looking for may exclude people. So you may insist, for instance, Mm. that people are available, you know, eight to six. They can't work at home. They can't work flexible work hours. Um, There's no sick time, time, all those things. Yeah. And you may say, well, but women can apply for this too. And it might be that right now or in your company, there are women who can't apply for that because they need fascinating you know more flex time so there are a number of things that people will say and do that are unconscious bias and notice I said people and not just men so Harvard Business Review said 
not Harvard Business Review, it was another article, that women may actually deny or be unaware of those barriers um, because um, they, don't want to, they don't want to acknowledge it. They grew up in it themselves, so they actually have the bias against their own gender. And what happens is it delegitimizes and it makes people not want to talk about it. So if you were to go and talk about gender bias in organizations with older you know, men or even older women who grew up in this, yeah, right? We can do it to ourselves. And it's I like found our, that fascinating. It's like always a talk about generational types, right? It's yeah. how you grew up. And so sometimes when you're trying to gain perspective, um, that's just what they know and what they understand. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily something that they're not willing to change. It's just yeah. what they know. Yeah. What are some other assumptions you can think of that, uh, you know, we focus on men could make, but anybody really could make about women in the workplace? Hmm. What about um, in um, jobs where you might have uh, physical limitations? Mm-hmm. Okay, I have one. Mm-hmm. Firefighters. Yeah. So this was a very interesting topic um, to me, especially because my dad was a firefighter, and so I kind yeah. of, I kind of watched my dad go through the process of of understanding. Um, female firefighters and how that was to integrate into their workplace. Yeah. And that's not a, not an easy thing, but basically the fact that, you know, an unconscious gender bias is, well, I can lift heavier than you can as a man to a woman. Mm -hmm. Or should I have to, should you have to, so for example, for all firefighters have to do like a physical test or whatever they have to do. Um, Should that weight distribution be difficult, should be the same? So for a man has to pull, I don't know how heavy the hose is, 500 sure. pounds or whatever, um, versus a female. And I believe, nobody quote me, and we can look it up after and recap it in the blog, <laughs> uh, but I believe, at least in Toronto, that the, the physical test is different for men and women firefighters. Interesting. And I don't... I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I know early on uh, when my dad and I were kind of talking about this, you know, and I was like, wow, that's so great, women firefighters, da, da, da. And he was like, you know, some of my concerns are who's going to pull me out of the fire. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting. This could be very controversial if you say Super that. Super controversial. There's, there's a place for that type of um, distinction or rule. You know, think about women playing football. Can women play football in the NFL? I imagine they can in certain positions, but are you going to put a woman who's, you know, maybe my size up against some of those linebackers that would crush you and hurt you? Maybe if I was a kicker or something else, but even then they get clobbered as well. So, you know, know. what, where is the line? And I think there's some rational thought behind that interestingly my friend as you know is a physiotherapist and she's often had people say oh do you need help lifting this patient and she's like uh no it's physics and and that's what I was thinking I can lift anybody because I've learned the 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 biomechanics of doing it and I could probably lift more than you even though you're in shape and you're strong yeah I know how to lift a human being differently and I was thinking about the concept of like maybe in a warehouse Right. Where people have to like lift or move heavy materials in a warehouse. Is there some unconscious Mm -hmm. bias there 
where, you know, if some tiny petite woman came, would they be like, sorry, we're not hiring you for this job. We're going to hire Tony because he's enormous. Possible. So you've got the physical side of where there are a lot of assumptions, Mm -hmm. which may be correct and may not be. And that's the whole I don't know. Point I can't make any. Con- it's it's way too controversial even for me to make a comment. Yeah. But I do recognize that there's something there, and only under the context of when my dad said, "I, you know, I want female firefighters in the force. I think that's amazing. I think that's this. That's that." My concern is, are they going? Given that their test is for less weight, speed, whatever, whatever the the, the firefighters test is. Um, Given that their test is for less than what I yeah. have to do, yeah. will they be able to carry me out of a fire? Right. And, you I, know, I, I would have fought my father to the end on this yeah. one until he said that. And then I went, oh, no, now I have a personal stake, personal stake in but it. And I, 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 need, I don't know how to handle that. And so I'd need, you know, again. We would need to ask somebody who knows. But I would imagine that in many cases, yes, they can because there is a mechanical way sure. for somebody to pick up even the heaviest person and drag them out. There is yeah. a way to do it. Now there's a line, but okay. So what about some non-physical assumptions that, you know, we may, we being older women or men mm. might make about women in the workplace. Um, what about things like, um, Oh, um, a woman will be able to navigate this complex emotional situation or conflict Mm -hmm. maybe better than a man or do it with more sensitivity. I could envision like someone in office, you know, being like, oh, Carol, you, you know, you go handle that situation because you're both women, you'll get each other, like you you sort out that conflict. Yeah. And that's interesting because you would think that that would be a positive assumption. But they're using and it, it is in, it is, but it's they're using it in a negative way. Yeah, or, and they're just making an assumption flat. Yeah, flat I mean, out, send yeah. me in a conflict, and I'm. Hmm. I don't know. Well, um, yeah, that is that is a definite one. So, um, what about promoting women? Uh, we don't want to. We're probably not going to promote as many women because they're too emotional. Yeah, and we have a hard driving. You know need to get things done. And I'm, I wonder if the more, I would find it hard to believe that that might be a process, but I could easily say, uh, this job requires a really strong backbone, someone who can really take the fire. Mm. I feel like a man would be best suited for this role. Oh yeah. Right. And, and not to be mean. You think you really believe this is true or so-and-so is 30, um, just got married, probably going to have kids, right? Yeah. Uh, Assumption, do we really want to put her into this when right now we need somebody who can work 90 hours a week? Making that assumption for them. Um, Some of the other ones they had was um, similar. Women can't do business because of their personal commitments. (laughs) Too many doctor's appointments. (laughs) Uh, Well, remember in a couple podcasts ago, we talked about how women are more likely to do more than half of the work of... Children, rearing children. Yeah, no, no. With their I, partner. Um, so, yeah, maybe doctor's appointments, <laughs> your school period. plays. Yeah, that time <laughs> of the month. It's the time of the month, so yeah. she can't do anything. Oh, that's another right? one. Like, um, women let their business and clients suffer because of their emotions. I don't, I, it's, that's a, that's such an old school assumption to me because I've seen 
many men who would rather crawl into a hole and pull the cover over them than deal with um, an emotional situation. So they just don't. Yeah. Um, women's emotions dictate their decision-making ability. Oh, that, that. You're going to have too much of the feeler when it comes time to making a business. Analytical decisions. Now, the funny thing is you look at the two of us. You're the feeler in the pair. Mm-hmm. I'm the thinker. Yeah. So, which sounds like you don't think and I don't feel. No, yeah, and that's an that's, MBTI that's thing. A, we can Myers-Briggs, another thing. But in a, uh, my preference is to approach things from a data perspective first. Yeah, it just means your, your gut instinct. Yeah. My first gut is, oh my gosh, how's that going to hurt someone? Right. How is that going to affect someone? Or how's that going to make them feel? And then I can kind yeah. of turn to analytics. You go analytics yeah. first. So that just means we, that we, we have to practice have to use men, the other. Yeah, men and women both sure. have that, which is crazy. Absolutely. This I mean, one... and how it manifests itself, I think, is different. So how I think a woman might manifest a preference for feeling or kind of this gut instinct to focus first on people's emotions and then to the problem um, is that I forgot how I was going to lay this out. Let me get You'll back think to that. Of it. I'll get, I'll, I'll um, get back to that. There's a couple of uh, really interesting ones that I think are old. And I think what surprises me about all of these is that I'm surprised that they're still out there. Just like last week, I was surprised by the country music perspective that people were being left out because they figured that women only wanted to listen to male singers. It seems so odd to me. Anyway, women are bad with numbers, so they can't project ROI. (laughs) Um, That falls into other articles that we've read in the past about women in... Um, scientific backgrounds, engineering, science, technology, engineering, math, the STEM field. Yeah. The same thing. And when I was reading an article in The Atlantic, it was talking about how a lot of this um, unconscious or second generation bias starts with girls in school. As we hear about girls who are afraid to raise their hand or girls who don't go into science and math because they're told they should go into other softer fields. It's still happening in 2019. Bananas. Um, women entrepreneurs tend to avoid the technical aspect of business. Interesting. Right? And then the last one was, women will leave their professional careers when they get married or have a child. Well, and based on our first, our first podcast, though, 43% are leaving... Corporate careers, correct, but start potentially starting another for one. sure. For so sure. they're looking for something more flexible Different. or that meets, yeah. So when you when you think about these are potentially unconscious biases that people have, they don't even know that they have it. So right now, there's somebody out there maybe listening or reading this, and I don't care if you're a man or woman, whatever. It doesn't matter. We all have the biases. We all have these, un- and you don't realize you have it. So that means that some I'm the nicest person in the whole world, and somehow I'm really leaning towards hiring George instead of Nicole because I think I need somebody a little more hard-driving and yeah. you know who's probably not going to leave and have a baby. I've got an interesting one for you yes. and a bias that I think I even alone have have done. 
that administrative functions are better performed by women than by men. Yeah. Because yeah. women are more organized and detail oriented. You think you have that bias? Yeah. I'm not. I, I, I don't know. I've never had to actually make a decision necessarily on that exact topic. Mm -hmm. I just, I'm, I, I'm just thinking, I mean, it's yeah. probably just what's there, right? The majority of administrative functions, at least in the Ontario government that I've witnessed, I would say 98% are performed by females. Yeah. Um, I think my biases are towards uh, generations more than gender. Now, I, if I have had to really think about it, I might change my mind. But quickly, I think I'm much more gender biased. Uh, sorry, generational biased. Interesting. You know, about how... Um, Those damn entitled millennials. Oh, yeah. I might be less in inclined unconsciously to pick a millennial, especially on the younger end of the scale, than somebody who works like I do. Interesting. And yet I would say I, I would love a millennial for their insight, different thought, um, the speed at which they could, t technology, right? So yeah. I have a, a generational bias towards millennials because I think they would be better at technology than me. And sure. therefore, yes. uh, and therefore might be able to augment my technology idiocy. Right, right, which has really nothing to do with generation and just exposure. We know lots of people in, who are our age or older who are good at technology. Um, so Harvard Business Review said that most of us believe that we are ethical and unbiased. We imagine we're good decision makers, able to objectively size up a job candidate or a venture deal and reach a fair and rational conclusion that's in our and our organization's best interests. But more than two decades of research confirms that in reality, most of us fall short of our inflated self-perception when it comes to bias, unconscious bias. Oh, I believe that. Like, if we really took the time to think about what our, our biases are, we'd probably be really surprised. And it probably would be hard to do without somebody to talk through it who knows us well. Mm -hmm. so, and it'd be someone asking, like, really tough questions. And you'd have to also, I mean, I think a big component here is the only way you can determine if you have... Um, unconscious gender bias is to sit back and reflect and become very self-aware. Self-awareness is the first step that um, when I was doing the research that they talk about is necessary to change it. So it's a good segue yeah. because I'm, when you I'm so look glad. at, yeah, well, you know, um, when you look at the impacts of this gender bias, we have women leaving um, science and technology and math functions. They're leaving because of a fear of failing of being intimidated by being the only one at the table. And we, have, we also know how few women are at the executive tables of many of the world's leading companies. And then, but the research showed that organizations that have a, a good mix, like a balanced mix of genders at the table, outperform other companies that don't by 53%. <laughs> They're 53% more successful when they have women at the table in, a, in an equitable um, balance. So the first step that we came up with, that I came up with, I read was you have to have self-awareness. So how, so I was thinking about this and I thought, I'm not going to think about it because we're going to talk about it. 
when you, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy or a circle or a, a cycle. You have, let's say, men, mostly men at the tables at the top who are the nicest people in the world, but like all of us, have this unconscious bias towards women and who tend to pick men for jobs over women. Not all the time, but enough so that the numbers are not changing or they're not changing fast enough. Okay. And because of that, you keep having men making the decisions because more men are hired than women. They're in the culture. It's like they a self-perpetuating. Yes, self-perpetuating. That's the right word. Yeah. They are only exposed to men in that environment, so it just keeps going. Yep, yep, what yep, do you yep. do? And what does it mean to have self-awareness? Those are big questions. Okay, so first I would say, and I think the important part here is this may not just be a case of men with unconscious gender bias for women. This also could be women with gender bias for women mm-hmm. and women with gender bias for men. Mm-hmm. It right? could be. I run a warehouse um, and I might have gender bias towards men right. because I feel like they can get the job done better. Whatever. It could be. Or vice wanted, versa. Yep. I wanted to focus on the women so we can't get them at the table because yes. men are hiring. So what do men need to do? Well, what does an organization need to do? And if, if self-awareness is the first step, is it organizational self-awareness? Is it one person's self-awareness? I think it has to... Hmm. I think the organization needs to look at its entire organization and, and start collecting the data and looking at the numbers and starting to build some data to mm-hmm. say, what, what, does our, what does the landscape look like? Mm-hmm. What is the uh, percentage difference between men and women? And then drill down and really do some statistical analysis. Okay, what, in which roles? Okay, now how many people applied for this job? How many more men? How many, like you really have to go in and, a, do the data analysis and mm-hmm. say, do we have an issue here? I like talking about the who applied. Are we even keeping people out of applying in the first place? Because of the ads. When I was writing um, last week's blog, I found that um, they've shown that women will only apply for, and this is again, not all women. Women are more likely to only apply for jobs for which they match 100% of the criteria And men only need 50% match before they apply. And they've found that part of what's holding women back with this fear of failing is um, they won't even try. And then they've they've taken the research all the way back to school, grade school. Wow. Because they've been told not to try. Mocked, whatever, not encouraged. So how do you get women let's say the stats show that okay. sure enough we're unbalanced so first it's a, a start of like doing the data analysis and figuring out what's going on yeah right and at least having some data to support our decision making and so as an organization this is what an organization would need to do mm-hmm. and then maybe uh drill down and either do some one-on-one coaching with hiring managers um, and just start asking kind and curious questions and start getting people to reflect, get educating people on gender bias, and then asking questions. You know, this is not, what's the word? This is not uh, disciplinary or punitive. Mm -hmm. This is, let's explore how our organization and our culture thinks. You know, okay, you came to these last two people. How did it come to that? 
Could you envision any gender bias? Again, not punitive, not, but let's start to explore so that people can start to build self-awareness yeah. and start to understand. I think it just starts with having conversations just like this. No, I think it needs to start at the top, too. Like yeah. When you, it, we hear well, the articles and shows that I hear, it's talking about the C-suite. They're talking about leadership tables without women at them. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, seems so challenging, how you get a group of mostly or all men to go, yes, we need more women. I think you actually need targets at that point. And that's the hard thing, because then you have people saying, oh, reverse discrimination, yada, yada. I used to say that. And now I understand it's about getting to a certain level and sort of let's get to a certain level first. And while that's happening, while we're getting there, Let's have these discussions of how we got here in the first place. How is it possible that in 2019, we don't have 50-50 women and men at the table? How is that possible? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I struggle with the targets thing, but yeah. that's a, probably a whole other discussion. We can add that to our list of yeah. topics for discussion. But um, how do you think an organization... And I have answers to this, so it's okay. let's see if you get any of them. <laughs> How do you think an organization could improve its hiring practices to ensure that more women are hired? Focus groups. No. <laughs> well, maybe, yes, and uh, I, I guess it starts with um, looking at uh, your talent pool mm-hmm. for positions. Mm-hmm. Um, having mentoring and coaching available to your talent pool Mm -hmm. so that, you know, your women who are feeling like they're not meeting 100% of the job criteria, is that actual, real, or perceived? Sure. Um, And can they be uh, coached and and grown? Encouraged to try. Encouraged to try and encouraged to improve their uh, ability to speak about what they're doing and how they do it and, and making them feel confident and having a hundred percent of that mm-hmm. uh, job qualification. Um, exploring your advertising and job descriptions and things like that and making sure that the language is uh, not gender biased and is yeah, that's uh, a huge one. Welcoming to anyone so that it encourages that application. Um, you know, I used to get, when this first came out, the language of your job ad or whatever, and it came out, you need to be more inclusive. It needs to, you need to be able to just say that somebody has the aptitude to do such and such a task, or they need to be able to learn to do it or have demonstrated that they can learn to do something. And I was like, no, they need to have done it. And they said, do they really? And I was no, you're right. They don't. Like in some right. cases. And there's the conversation though. And in some just cases someone you saying, do. Do, asking the question, did yeah. you really hire this person because they were better? Do you have any bias there? And having this kind of open yeah. conversation. So, you know, I, mean, it, I think so many organizations have like inclusivity officers and diversity yeah. officers. And I think that's where it starts. Someone being able to start these difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also going to say, as you move through an organization, so um, coaching your talent pool so that they feel like there is a chance for them and that there is a place for them at these senior levels. Um, making sure that the advertisements for the jobs um, are also reaching an inclusive audience. Yep. 
Um, your evaluation panels, are tell they me. diverse? So tell me about, because those are the interesting um, answers that I found in an article and they have very tactical things that they suggest about the interview panels. Uh, I mean, all I was saying is that, you know, is your panel all male? You know, what is your representation on your panel? Um, can it be more diverse? Can there, you know, be yeah. uh, not only in not only in gender and all the other things, but in generation, in um, in hierarchy in the organization, yes, right? Like that was actually one of the key ones. You I might be a genius. Um, what they said was, you need to have a woman on the panel who is not the token female. Oh. And they said, here's how you know they're the token. If they come in unprepared and have no questions for you, if, they're, if they talk a lot about being a woman and working in the company, but they also don't have uh, robust questions, if um, they are lower level. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. I actually sat there and thought, wow, wouldn't it be fascinating to have a female not at the C-suite level, also on the panel now assessing someone that might be their yeah. mentor and what an interesting evaluation process that might yeah. be. But they didn't want lower level. That was the token. They said, now, oh, I think they're generalizing. You can tell you have a token female uh, on the panel if they are lower level, can't ask you good questions, seem unprepared, yes, and yes, talk yes. a lot about being how great it is to be a woman at this company. Now... If you were a lower level woman and you were prepared and you had good questions about mentorship and that, that's yeah. a different, that's yeah. not a token. Yeah. So yeah. Like I having think, true representation. Yes. Yeah, so all panel. of the different types of women who are going to be at the company, whether it's your boss or a boss in another area or someone who might be reporting to you, but who's also, you know, got a really good head on her shoulders and has some great questions to ask and has mm. been respected enough. To prepare for the thing. Yeah. So they said... Um, I have enough, I have, oh, I have more ideas. Yes, I'm go. full of them. Uh -huh. Always. Always. Um, so I would say, eye. so then moving post-interview, I would say um, post-interview, debrief, analysis, audit, some kind of function there mm -hmm. where there is some check and balance That's to make sure... Idea. That, you know, and again, it, it may in the starting points of a company trying to move towards more gender diversity um, would be to, you know, just have some questions, ask questions, see if there was any bias there. It's, again, not punitive, but just to develop awareness and openness for future competitions. That, to me, sounds like such a logical thing to do, and I think it would be easier in organizations like government Harder in organizations where I can just go out and hire my person. I don't care. Yeah. There's no panel. There's nobody checking who I hire. If I want to hire this person, I'm hiring that person. So that's a little different. There must be a way, especially if the organization, like you say, has done the work statistically to show we have a problem. That they need to put something in place that says, George, before you hire your next person, we've got a new thing in place. We want at least three people to talk to them. And at least what about one of them. Yeah. What about debriefs? What about if organizations encouraged interview debriefs? Um, it would force... You mean for the unsuccessful candidates? For the unsuccessful candidates, force people to really sit back and think about 
what was missing for this individual mm-hmm. over other individuals. Mm-hmm. You better be able to say it. I'm sorry, you're female. Right? And, I, and what I imagine would happen is that you would be forced um, almost naturally to uncover that self-awareness and maybe uncover some of your unintended um, gender bias, right? If you actually had to sit there after every single interview that you held and and had to go back to all three candidates and say, here is why the the hired candidate, here's the areas you need to improve to get there, I feel like you might get some clarity. Clarity. You know, there was... um the other thing that they talk about is even pre-interview is um, anonymizing the screening. Yeah. I just remembered something. Oh. So I read this article not too long ago, and I think it's in Sweden, Uh where they had AI. Wow. AI interview screeners. Wow, interesting. Asking the questions to therefore eliminate any bias. Yeah. It was fascinating. Well, they did. A, and it was, like a, it was like a head. Yeah. We'll have to put a picture in the oh, blog recap. I'd like to see that. That would be interesting because they, um, there's a study that was done for orchestras and the number of women in orchestras grew from 5% to 25% in like 20 years or 30 years. Because they started auditioning them behind a curtain. Like the voice. Yeah. You know, I mean, the voice only does it, it only works for the very first thing. It doesn't work after that because they're all marketed and glammed up and all this stuff. Right. Um, but imagine the, the auditions for musicians were behind a screen. The other thing they've done is take the names off of resumes that are screened. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are, you know, those are all things that are designed to at least get them in the door fairly. And then what you talked about having the appropriate um, representation of women who are um, prepared and can ask those robust questions and answer robust questions from the women or men who are at the table. Yeah. And the debrief post to say, did I really do this properly and have somebody quiz me. Yeah, I just thought of like organizationally before you actually yeah. give the hire is having someone come in and do a bit of yeah. bias analysis. I'm, I'm sure there's people that do be. this. Especially if you're an organization that's really struggling for gender diversity and you don't know where to start. There's there's two. There's the, um, the whole self-awareness of our practices that are in place internally and our language and all the things we've been talking about. And there's how do we get more women at the table, uh, either freshly, you know, new hires or promotional hires. How, how are we really being um, fair when we're looking at that? Mm-hmm. Or do we have a lot of assumptions? So I would say that the worst, <laughs> the worst situation you're in, the more, the more you're going to need to find some kind of a diversity consultant to help you in that area. It's not us, that's for sure. But No, we're just exploring the issues. Yeah. The other thing I read about um, is having work groups, internal work groups that say, that work on, it, I, I suppose this would be more at a team level. What are the biases that we have as a team or that we have as a department in an organization? I think organizationally then, um, doing a lot of employee engagement surveys that include questions sure. on on diversity of yeah. all 
yeah. of all aspects, including gender, can be a way to help build awareness within your organization yeah. so that people can actually start making individual change at the interview table. Yeah. Is being aware, like, oh my goodness. Because you, as you said a few weeks ago, it's a, it should be seen as an opportunity. What is an opportunity to transform our business? Well, okay, if we've got gender diversity issues, addressing that could be an opportunity to, to really turn the way we do business around completely and catch up with the 21st century and be more relevant to our customers today. And it's like that same bias, like, oh, I don't want a bunch of lazy millennials yeah. versus I want a bunch of people who think differently yeah. than me, who have a different approach and a different lens on this, and that is important to me. Yeah. I, I feel like if organizations don't do this, they're going to be screwed as soon as, there I said it, as <laughs> soon as these tables of men start retiring because they won't be able to keep up with the rest of the world that are more, the organizations and countries that are more progressive and they won't have the right talent pool to come behind them. They'll just have the same thing and suddenly they'll be irrelevant. Yeah. And these organizations that do have balanced tables of leadership will be outperforming them by 53% and they'll, you know, Shut down. You'll, this you'll is be a, like you'll be like the Sony Walkman. Yeah, right. It's, it's will... a monetary decision. It's a financial and strategic decision to be more diverse. And we are focusing on gender, but I would say diverse across the board. Oh yeah, all areas of diversity. I mean, you look at that. Well, that's a whole other topic. I'll save. I'll save my genius thought for another topic. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was the topic about um, looking at that and the, from the organizational perspective and from the person personal perspective. I think it's valuable to sit down and think, do I have unconscious gender bias? Um, you know, talk to somebody else who will say what, like read some articles, look at Koki. I do think that way. Oh my goodness. I, I still do look at male nurses in a hospital and go, how interesting, a male nurse. Well, yes, Ruth, it's 2019. I actually do still look at that and go, neat, a male nurse. Like why a, do I like even, a male HR person? Why do I even notice a male admin, admin assistant? Exactly, that is an unconscious gender bias that I've grown up with as a child of the seventies, and fortunately, I'm aware of it. I don't say it out loud to people like, "Hey, you know, look, a male nurse." Yes, right. <laughs> um, I would hope that that doesn't bleed into other areas of hiring and whatever. I think the key here is being able to be open to the idea that you might have bias and you might not even know it. Mm -hmm. yeah. You have to be open to that idea because I think a lot of people would be, I absolutely don't know. No, I love women. I love women. Yeah. Right. You know, and that might go for like, and that might even be for a woman. No, no, no. I love hiring women. Da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. You need to be open to the possibility that you might have a bias that you don't even know. Oh, yeah. You might have to be open to the possibility that your job ad might have a bias that you don't even know. Mm -hmm. You have to be open to the possibility that your panel has a bias that you don't even know. Mm -hmm. And you just need to keep being open to that feedback. And your offer. Right? Everything. Every, that whole cycle. You know, you look, start with you and, and extend it out to the organization, the team, the practices, the policies, and 
take a look at that. And, and so many of the women that we talk to, this is a part of what they're struggling with. And they can't crack through it because they're not the policymakers yet. They're not the ones making the hiring decisions. So they are you know, impacted by it. And that's when we've talked before about how to have conversations, how to look for organizations that um, are more progressive in that way. Well, that's interesting to me. Like if we talk about the Ontario Public Service, I can't remember what the stat is, but I, if I'm not mistaken, um, the Ontario Public Service is something like 64% women. And then at the like senior that. level, it was, I have no idea, but it was really small. Interesting. Yeah, they, the women at the, um, well, when I was there, so it's now been. I'm going to Google it as we speak. Okay. I'm going to just it's now see if I can get a nine stat. nine years since I left. So last time I talked about this stat, it's got Nine be years? Eight. Eight. I'm not saying yeah, you're eight, wrong. No, eight years this summer I made the decision to leave. So it would, in November it'll be eight years. Um, so it's probably 10 years since I was hearing a stat like this. But it was horrendous that it was, um, yeah, like about 64, 65% women and incredibly diverse culturally because Ontario is con incredibly diverse culturally. But at the senior leadership level, so the deputy ministers, assistant deputy ministers, it was mostly white men. And the wow. stats were ridiculous. Now, I believe they've made incredible headway, so I don't know what the latest stats are. But yes, that was um, a real concern, and many organizations are still suffering from that. I'm still Googling. I was wondering I'm if your keystrokes were coming into recording. <laughs> possible. I don't know. We'll see. If um, you hear this on the podcast, sorry, it's because I'm Googling. Well, it's funny. Um, it's... Oh, you want to hear oh. something neat? Yes. Ontario makes history with a record number of female MPPs. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So in, in uh, actually June elected, of last year, elected positions. And of course, when Justin Trudeau um, became prime minister a few years ago, he had an, the first incredibly diverse cabinet, and I believe 50% were women. Yeah, of the 124 yeah. ridings in Ontario, 49 will be represented by women. At 39.5%, that's the highest of any provincial legislature across the country. Yeah. That yeah. still didn't um, help me yeah. with my own We can find answer. that and put it Ontario in ranks first in Canada for women's representation. Anyhow, we'll look yeah. up some stats we'll, we'll for the blog for stats. you. Um, it's, it's absolutely something to consider. So I thought it was a good wrap-up on our whiteboard women. Great topic choice. I was stumped. It was my job to pick the topic, and I was like... Well, I was, at first I was thinking about interviewing and women, like whether mm. you're a woman interviewing for a job or you're a woman interviewing someone for a job, and that just sort of went from there, looking at um, unconscious bias or second-generation bias. You've learned a new term here today, I everyone. Did. Um, so yeah, we, this is our whiteboard women series talking about a bunch of gender issues. It's not the last you'll hear from us on gender diversity. No, I'm really hoping that at the forum, we will also be able to get a group of women together to, mm -hmm. um, to talk about the issues. Cause it's interesting for us because we're consultants, we're going into organizations where sometimes we might experience the bias as consultants. Mm -hmm. Um, but sometimes we don't because we're external. So you know, really us understanding what it's like 
What's it like today in What's it like today for yeah. you in this job? And hopefully getting some ideas and maybe mm-hmm. getting some great women to come on the podcast too and, and talk through some of these issues with us and their perspective on them. Absolutely. So I, I wonder forum if- is at the end of September. Um, you'll hear more about that. Meanwhile, we'll be continuing with our podcast. Um, we were thinking of doing our next series on facilitation. Yeah. And what does it do- mean to facilitate anything yeah meetings Meetings. brainstorming sessions conflict conflict uh process improvement sessions because we're doing that for some clients coming up um yeah so we're going to do a a short series on all the different styles of facilitation what types of skills that you need um and how to do it i think it's such an amazing skill to have what an amazing skill to bring Mm -hmm. to any organization Mm -hmm. is like i can facilitate a large group of people yeah so our next podcast series will be on that Um, you will hear more about our forum. You'll hear more about our launch of our whiteboard women community on Facebook, uh, which is women supporting women. And, uh, yeah. So lots coming up this fall. That's it. All right. Thanks everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening. Don't forget. You can find us on all the usual social media. Our website is whiteboardconsulting.ca. And this podcast will be available visually on YouTube by searching whiteboard consulting group, Inc., Or if you want to read our blog that summarizes it, you can check out At The Whiteboard, a publication on medium.com. Finally, if you have any questions or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at info at whiteboardconsulting.ca. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.